another episode of. Yes. Welcome to Auto Off Topic. I am Andrew. What's up? Not much. I am Brad. But most people probably know that by now. I would hope so. Unless this year tuning in for the first time, then uh, thanks for trying us. Yeah. Sorry. It started this way. <laughs> yeah. It only goes downhill from here. It does. Significantly, too. Like um, once the ball starts rolling, we're just we're out of control. Yeah. So you sent me a thing earlier we were talking about because I don't know if you've talked about it on the podcast. You were thinking about replacing the uh, wagon. Well, I love my Volkswagen. Yeah. It suited me very well. I bought it a year and a half ago with 37,000 miles on it. Um, I just clicked over 76,000 the other day. So I've driven it a lot, like a lot, a lot. Um, and the problem is, is I don't think I want to own it past 100,000. Uh, just because, I don't know, it's just that stigma. I want to get rid of it before 100,000. I was thinking because the value is higher is more what I should say. So when I was trailering all my stuff back from Massachusetts and my complete and unexplainable anxiety was like, no, we're not going to make it. The car's going to die halfway. It's too much weight. I need a truck. I started thinking about trading it in on a truck. So I started looking for trucks. Uh, wouldn't you know it that now is definitely not the right time to buy a used truck? It's like the worst time to try to buy anything, kind of, as far as cars. Like well, used cars, super expensive. New cars, inventory is really low. Hmm. They're super expensive. Like, like obnoxiously expensive. Like, I can't fathom. So one of the trucks I was specifically looking at was the same truck I used to have. Like, uh, early 2000s, 2500 Silverado diesel truck. Mm-hmm. The other truck I was looking at, because I was like, well, it'll definitely still tow a little bit. I can use it for camping and off-roading and stuff, was a 4x4 Nissan Frontier. Yep. So a 4x4 Nissan Frontier that was, I don't know, 29 to 35 new? Yeah, not, well, I don't think you were even looking at Pro 4Xs, right? No, I was like one level below that because Pro yeah. 4Xs were even, they were another level of ridiculous. Yeah. So, again, SE, I guess, is the trim level, or an LE or SE. I think it's SE. Yeah. But anyway, so like like a cloth interior Every option, otherwise, you know, air conditioning, Bluetooth, 4x4, the whole thing. The truck is probably mid-30s, brand new, I would assume. Mm-hmm. With 130,000 miles, they're 20 grand. And they were, like, what years? Like a 14, 15? Yeah. It, it doesn't, but, it doesn't, does not compute, <laughs> like... Well, even especially on a even, frontier, even older ones, even even like a, a ten or eleven was, you know, a seventeen thousand dollar truck with the with one hundred and fifty thousand miles on it. I think Why I was helping you seventeen thousand dollars for a for a ten year old truck. Yeah, I, I think I was helping you look, and like oh fives were even that much. Or uh, very, they were a little bit less. Yeah, but still, what, the the thing that the rub on a frontier is that from oh five. To now 2020, they're basically the same truck, other than now they, the 2020 gets a different all. engine. Yeah. So Yeah, they didn't they didn't change at all. So I was in Massachusetts, um, and there was one particular dealer that was in Orange, Massachusetts, which for those that don't know the layout of Massachusetts, that's almost New York. Um it's 
probably like two and a half hours west of where we're from. Yeah. And I was that. all I was all excited because it was on there. It was a 2015 with 60,000 miles on it, and it was like 14.5. Mm. And I was like, that is a steal. It was a manual transmission, but it had all the other options, and it was four-wheel drive. So that's exactly the truck I want. And I called them on like a Thursday night or a Friday night. That guy's like, call me in the morning, and we'll, we'll talk about it. It was right before closing when I found it. And uh, it was it was gone by like 8.15 the next morning when I called. Hmm. So, yeah. Or they realized they underpriced it and just didn't want to tell me that. But either way, it was that was going to be the truck I was going to buy, and then I didn't buy it. So here we are again. The Volkswagen obviously made it home. I did not buy a truck. And I'm... I'm I'm to to a level glad I didn't uh, because I'd like to get the right truck that I can tow with again. So maybe I'll go with another diesel. Who knows? But we shall see. Now is not the right time to buy a truck. The prices are ridiculous. Oh, you mean There's... you can't? Uh, so yeah. So then, like, what is your Toyota worth that you have right now? Like five grand? Right now? Yeah. Like negative five grand. Yeah, I'm joking because it's a pickup truck. Because there were ones up here oh. <laughs> that were like super, super expensive. And then you were saying oh, Toyota, you were, Toyotas forget about it. Like well, it's it's obnoxious. I mean like the ones that you looked at up here that were expensive plus also rotted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually I went and looked at so I went and looked at a few trucks and one that stands out in particular was a two thousand and thirteen F one fifty. Yep. Um and it was a decent spec truck. It had like nice interior. It had decent seats. It had leather, which I usually would avoid on a Ford, but actually still was in nice shape. Um, had fairly low miles for the year, like sixty or seventy thousand miles. What engine was um, it? It was a the five four V eight. Okay, so it's not the worst, but not the best. Um, it's no better for, than EcoBoost. Is it better than EcoBoost? I um, believe I so. Yeah. Early the early EcoBoosts were not great. Well, no, this was this was a V8 truck. I know that the five fours are known for blowing spark plugs out, um, and it's a special oh. tool, like a helicoil, to re-thread the heads and put the spark plugs in again. A special Ford tool to do it with. Uh, but anyway, it's that's one like real Achilles heel. So, but I went and looked at this truck, and again, it was like a 2012 or a 2013. It was low teens, like 12 or 13 grand. Um, it only had 45 or 55,000 miles on it. And I was like, the pictures were great. The truck looked beautiful. This is the truck I got there. And it was a hundred percent covered in like the thickest, greasiest black undercoat you'd ever seen. Um, and it was like structural undercoat. Cause if you touched it, it like the, there was a hole behind it. that You could like push mm. in with your finger. So it was hiding holes in the frame and every, every fastener, no longer looked like it had a hex head on it. They're all just round. I was like, this is definitely not the truck to buy. <laughs> so that's, and that's, you know, a $13,000 investment at that point. It's like you're, you're starting off with what is essentially garbage and you're paying yeah. $13,000 yeah. for it. Yep. So the, the article I was reading was talking about truck prices and the fact that people are flying all over the country to buy trucks because they're just finding the best deal. And it's saving them money to find it, you know, 2,800 miles away and driving it home because there's nothing in their local inventory. And it's just the second a decently priced truck comes up, it's just like gobbled up off the market. So if you're in the market for a pickup truck right now, I apologize, but you're in for 
a world of hurt unless you want something really old if you want a really old truck then you're fine but if you want anything that's in the past 10 even 15 years i mean it's it's slim pickings out there without spending way more money than you're comfortable with so yeah and on top of it like nobody goes to 15 grand cash like most people are going to finance a fifteen thousand yeah. dollar purchase and what bank's going to finance a fifteen thousand dollar 2007 you know it's just not a it's I don't know. They must be because they're selling them for that. But I, I can't I can't imagine spending anywhere near twenty thousand dollars on something that was just a fifteen year old ten or ten to fifteen year old used car. Like I can see spending that on a vintage car. That's not your daily relied upon transportation, but not on just a what amounts to nothing but just a used car. Now, as far as like camping and towing, would you ever consider? Ford does make a transit in all wheel drive. Um, we've talked about vans. Yeah. Um, we were actually looking it's for even a two wheel drive van would have been acceptable. We we're looking at some Duramax Chevy vans. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would, would I consider it? I consider it. It's not ideal. If I was just going for a camping off roading rig, I'd be more to go for a full frame SUV, like a, Xterra or something. You could um, go the Sequoia. Or Sequoia is fairly inexpensive, strangely enough, compared to a Tundra. Even though it's the same frame underneath. It's the same truck. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same thing that a, a, a Frontier, a used Frontier and a used Xterra of the same year and the same options, the Xterra is 30% less than the Frontier is. It's just that that pickup truck market. Everybody wants the pickup truck. And, and I get it. The utility is is there and that's part of why I wanted a pickup truck because I could fit all the garbage I was bringing back from mass to Arizona. I could fit, you know, 40% of it in the bed of a pickup truck. You're not going to fit 40% of it inside any kind of SUV because the the shape doesn't allow for it. Unless I went and bought, you know, a full size long wheelbase suburban or something, but that wasn't, wasn't really what I was looking for either. Unless maybe there was a 2,500 suburban with a diesel, but is that even a thing? I don't know uh, people not. make them. I know yeah. we, we, I think I sent like a Craigslist ad for one, like somebody made it. Yeah. I don't think I want that either, but anyway, the, maybe there's like long- some dealer somewhere that knows how to like order the right options to, to get one or something. But long story short is the best selling vehicle in this country is a Ford F-150 pickup. So you'd think the used market would just be flooded with them. You know, yeah, how many I, they sell a year? Like nine hundred thousand or something ridiculous. Twenty nineteen, like it was yeah, it was nine. It was almost nine hundred thousand. Absolute as the absurdity that there's not more available on the used market. I don't know where they're going, but it must be a lot of them go to fleets. I mean, there's a lot of fleet sales, a lot of like U-Hauls and city trucks, and a lot of two-wheel yeah. drive, low option. Not what I would have been shopping for, but even then, you think that just if even if twenty percent of them are V8 four by four trucks. Like, and it's obviously more than that, but say that 20% of them are that. That means that you have 180,000 a year being sold and they're not, they're the used market just isn't, doesn't support that. Unless they just get used until they're trash or, or what? Yeah. Or they get, I was totally shipped, willing to buy an F-150. They get shipped out of country, maybe South America. Maybe. I don't know. I was I was one hundred percent willing to buy a used F one hundred and fifty. Like I have no issue with that truck. Like I'm not trying to buy an enthusiast vehicle. I was trying to buy something that was practical and useful, and uh, just didn't happen. You know, didn't didn't happen. I spent 
probably nine or 10 hours one day, just driving around dealership to dealership, looking at absolute garbage. And it listen, the story's headed before. When I bought my, my Duramax, it was the same thing. We were, we drove to the Cape once to look at a truck that was supposedly nice and had no frame left. So it's not, oh, yeah. uh, it's not uncommon in the, in the Northeast. So, and then the trucks out here in Arizona are even more money because they're not rusty. And people know that mm-hmm. and people fly into here to buy them. So yeah, I'm just, I'm not in a hurry to buy a truck. I'm not driving the car that much anyway. So it's not like, it's not like I'm putting 10,000 miles on it every couple of months anymore. Like I was before. So no, it's, and uh, you, you don't have a bunch of project cars that need to be towed around at the moment. So I do. They just need to be towed from one end of the country to the other. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, yeah, so I'm going to sit in the Volkswagen for a while. And the more I keep it, the more I think about it, the more I'm glad I didn't trade it in. I'm glad I drove back with the trailer and I made it and it wasn't an issue. I'm glad I still have the car. And, you know, it's it's our normal, reliable daily driver that takes us anywhere we want to go without without argument. So, yeah. You know, and Naomi's car has got 227,000 miles on it. And, you know, it starts up and runs every day, but... It's got two hundred and twenty thousand miles on it. You know, it's not. It's not always going to be around, so it's nice to have the Volkswagen. So maybe we'll just keep it and add a truck to the to the mix later on. Who knows? So, but for now, I don't need it. It's tough to buy a truck right now. So, yeah. Well, I know you're thinking about an e golf. We're thinking about e golf for her, but that all depends on when this whole world change changes. Yeah, it's the thing um, if if. She doesn't need to drive anywhere every day. It doesn't matter. Then yeah. why, why pay for a new car? Well, yeah, that's the thing is that we live probably a solid 30 to 40 minutes from her office. Yeah. And it would be probably 20 minutes if she had an alternative um, powered vehicle because you're allowed access to the carpool lane with an electric car, not a hybrid, a full electric. So that's the only reason we consider it e-golf because it would cut her commute time in half. But right now, everybody's working from home. So there's no need to have a commuter car. So we're just kind of like, it is what it is. I was laughing about yesterday because I drove my my Volkswagen for the first time in probably a week and a half because I don't have to go anywhere very often. And and I I drove it like an hour each way. And it was like, oh, oh yeah, this car's kind of nice. I put gas in it for the first time since coming back from Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Diesel, diesel, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Yep. But anyway, so long story short, pickup trucks, tough to buy. If you're in the market right now, I feel for you. Um, I just kept, I downloaded the Car Gurus app on my phone and have alerts for 2,500 Silverados and Sierras and Nissan Frontiers, which is, they're very different vehicles, but I have two different purposes I could use them for. And at the end of the day, a Frontier can tow a small car around town, no issue. So... Yeah, we're not sponsored by CarGurus, but I had good luck on there finding the uh, the Volkswagen because that was the specific car I was looking for. My Volkswagen. Yeah, well, they have they have the best like filtering on their website as any of those big car looking websites do. So, if I'm just you know sitting around one day and the phone beeps and it's the perfect deal on the perfect truck, maybe I'll jump and trade my car in. Who knows? But I'm not actively seeking one anymore. I'm just kind of like. If you build it, they will come kind of deal. Like maybe it'll just drop in my lap one day. So, yeah. but anyway, that's a weird cross shop. I know a Frontier and a 2,500 Silverado, but those are, 
the two vehicles that would do what I want them to do in two different ways. But that's, you know, that, that whole, the devil, you know, like I know the Silverado's inside and out because I drove one for years and I know what it takes to keep it running. And, and the Nissans, I just, I like the small size of the pickup. So yeah, they're a proven pickup. Yeah. Uh, side note to all of this, if you're just looking for a short bed, regular cab truck, they're still reasonable. That makes sense. Yep. I don't think a lot of people like buy anything but crew cabs now. No. And I, I my search was crew and extended cab. Yeah. Um, and only because I want to go long distances and we have a bunch of dogs. <laughs> so I don't want to have a bunch of dogs and a regular cab pickup. Right. So there's that. But anyway, yeah, let's pick up trucks. Yeah. So speaking of trucks, uh, myself, our friend Jordan, our buddy Andy, our other friend Dan, uh, we drove some of the Trans New Hampshire Trail, okay. which is basically just uh, people have linked together a lot of the class six roads in New Hampshire. So you can kind of drive across New Hampshire with them. So we... Knew where some of them were. We had some other roads that we knew were class six roads. Uh, so we just kind of explored part of New Hampshire. This was last week. And um, that was super cool. It was funny because we actually ended up on a couple of roads that we had found way back in 2016 when we went and did this. Okay. The 89 Montero and the Jordan's Xterra. We were, and the, but it's been so dry that a bunch of places that we had water crossings are just completely dry. Like not even mud, just dry. So, like, there's parts of this that you'd definitely be underwater, but not right now. So, and That's interesting. A lot of it was pretty, and that's the other thing, too. If it was, a lot of it was leaf-covered. If it was damp, it would have been pretty slippy, but being so dry, it wasn't that bad. Like, a number of them, we just drove in two-wheel drive because it just wasn't that big a deal. It wasn't even a challenge. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a couple spots that were like really rocky, like rock gardens that you have to get through, but it's not too bad for a mild lift and good tires. Which your truck has now. Yeah. Um, they are narrow though. Did you put your skid plates to work? Uh, no, I never hit the skids actually because the truck is higher now. Right. It's amazing what that did. I, well, if you, if, if you think about that, if you were just tapping them with stock height and now you've added like an inch and a half of lift to the truck, then that just tapping is now just like just clearing. Well, so. it's funny because I was running, you know, the truck is now an inch higher, but I was only running like 25 pounds of air. So the tires are shorter. A little lower. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like most of it's just like really narrow and it's. Anything bigger than like a truck like mine, it's really tricky. Yeah, or, I did a bunch of I did a bunch of the roads in Vermont in my my full size Chevy crew cab, and it was it was definitely tight. I definitely had to fold the mirrors in and hope for the best a few times. Yeah, you're gonna get a, a backwoods car wash, and um, oh, yeah, no question. Yeah, the the whole the sides of my truck are just all pinstriped, so. But that's why I never painted it because I would never take it if it was had nice paint because I couldn't like couldn't spend all that time and money painting it 
just have it all scratched up. Yep. And honestly, most of that, like New England pinstriping or backwoods car wash, whatever you want to call it, most of that with a good compound and buff will come out. Yeah. So. And I just don't feel like doing it. <laughs> well, right. All... I'm just saying if, if you did, it'll come right out. And it's not a big deal. So I, I actually went off-roading this weekend. Oh, yeah. Um, I know that you have different thoughts about this than I do currently. I used to share your thoughts. Um, I went off-roading in a side-by-side. Sorry? Uh, well, listen, there's a certain, without alienating all of our listeners, there's a certain stereotype that drives side-by-sides. Um, they're the same stereotype that has the power boat and goes, hangs out in coves and links all their boats together and just drinks beer all day. Um, listening to country music very loudly through their speakers. So to put it another way, as a friend of ours said the other day in the chat, they're not our people. But the machines themselves are pretty incredible. I'm not going to lie. They make off-roading in a lot of situations kind of like an easy mode. Like it's almost like cheating. So the big thing that I noticed when doing any kind of like backwoods crawling, you know, anybody who's done any kind of backwoods trails or, you know, rock crawling or anything knows that the most important thing is picking the right line, knowing where your tires are, knowing what you're climbing, knowing which way you have to turn to keep, you know, stability in the vehicle. It's all part of the challenge, part of the fun. With these side-by-sides, you just kind of point the nose of the vehicle wherever you want it to end up, and that's where you wind up without even thinking about it. Like to put it to put it another way, a rock section that would take you like, you know, two or three minutes to crawl 15, 20 feet in these things here, it's like you're driving down the street. There's almost zero there's no skill involved with crawling these things along rocks. They just they just do. They just go. It's it, it's mind boggling how good they are, just like climbing mountains and hills and climbing through like a a dried wash and up the banking and back into the trail again like the 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 lack of effort on the driver's part is astonishing i hear you yawning because you're probably thinking about what it's like to ride in one yeah (laughs) however um i don't want to buy one but i will say where they really come to life is loose gravel open dirt one lane like single track fire roads um they are fun as can be they all wheel drive so they're selectable all wheel drive so they're rear wheel drive and then you can on the fly click it to four wheel drive and then you have to stop to select low gear so they do have a low and a high um, they're basically snowmobile drivetrains. They're belt driven. Um, but you put it in two wheel drive and two wheel drive high. The best handling car on the road is what this thing feels like in the dirt. It's so confidence inspiring that I went from my initial throttle press of like kind of driving it away to. 50 mile an hour sideways around power lines 
like full opposite lock rooster tails out the back two wheel drive like 60 mile 50 60 mile an hour slides like staying on trail the whole time the brakes are incredibly impressive how quickly they bring the thing down and over and over and over again without even considering anything about it like they just they just they just stop the thing like you see a washed out section in front of you which happens a lot here in arizona and you want to like slowly go through it you don't want to hit it at 60 miles an hour going 60 miles an hour seeing that obstacle in the ground you still have the time to stop and crawl through it like that's how good the brakes are it's it's mind-boggling how fun these things are and there's not much that accelerates faster from 20 to 50. It's I don't know what these things weigh. There are two cylinders. This particular one I was driving was a Polaris Razor. So it's a it's essentially like I said a snowmobile kind of layout. It's got a CVT style transmission, um, but it doesn't have any of the compromises that a car CVT has. So it's kind of always in the power band. Hmm. It doesn't really have that lag that you experience when you put a CVT in a normal car. Um, is a two-cylinder, 1,000cc non-turbo. So this is the second level down. It's not the fastest one they make. It's the next one down. It makes 134 horsepower. Wow. From two cylinders and 1,000ccs. So that's 134 horsepower per liter. That's something that 15 years ago was like the Honda S2000 and nothing else. Like... The 100 horsepower per liter was a huge thing to hit back then, and we're doing it in a two-cylinder off-road vehicle. Yeah. So it's got 14-inch wheels with these big, you know, knobby off-road tires that we ran like six pounds of air in. And the thing is just, it's it's like driving a car on snow with the most expensive snow tires you can buy with studs the way the thing just dances in the loose gravel. I did not enjoy crawling it around on trails. I did not enjoy being in a giant group of other people with them, which was a whole other story for a whole other day. Um, as you I must said, just get dusted out because there's no side panels really, right? Is there a windshield? You do, you, you do get dusted out. There's no windshield. There's no side panels. Um, and it's Arizona, so everything is bone dry. Yeah. So you you do get dusted out, especially when you're riding in a group. It's not so bad when you're driving by yourself because you know you're moving forward. So like the dust is behind you. Um, I had goggles and my Corona face mask, and honestly, with the combination of those two things, it was pretty comfortable. I wasn't ever like, I mean, I was filthy. Don't get me wrong. I was covered in dirt from head to toe. Like my my gray hair and gray beard was even more gray looking from the from the, the dirt spray that I was in all day. Um, but it was the, the beginning of the day, the going with the group of like seven other ones and crawling slowly through the woods while they stopped every 30 feet to refill their booze drinks and drink more beer was, it was a thing. That was a thing I don't ever want to do again. That was not my idea of a fun time. Um, it was basically like other than our, they call them cars too, which is weird. Like when they're referring to them to each other, like off-road people call their vehicles rigs a lot. Yeah. Or a Jeep or a rig. These side-by-side people call them cars. And it's kind of a weird thing. Like, oh, it's in my car. 
oh, let's follow that car over there. Like, it's not, it's, I don't know, I guess it's, it's a four wheeled motorized vehicle, but it seems weird to call it a car. (laughs) Follow that auto gyro. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's super weird. So anyway, it was, it was, it was an experience and I I have a lot of stories that if people want to hear, they can ask me (laughs) privately about, I don't want to share online how ridiculous this thing was. Um, but we were basically in a rolling DUI parade other than ours um, for the whole morning. And about noontime-ish, we were like, all right, we're done with this. We're going to go off on our own. <laughs> so we did. And that's when we had a hell of a lot of fun. Just yeah. I, I can't explain enough how fun this is. You know, I, I see videos of, you know, the 60s and 70s, everybody out there in the dunes with their sand rails. And after doing this for a day, it makes you want to try that next. I want to know if there's any way I can even remotely replicate this experience in an old school, like sand rail or like a Baja beetle or anything like that. You know, obviously not 134 horsepower because they're beetles, but, um, or yeah, <laughs> well, I guess you could nowadays yeah. technology's there to make a 134 horsepower beetle. But yeah, the other thing, come. But the thing with this is that, you know, it's a brand spanking new 2020 Polaris Razor with a warranty and it's, a, you know, as reliable as it can be for what it is. So the other wild thing is that here in Arizona, they're street legal. So ridiculous. So we have a, a motorcycle license plate in the back and there's no rules against using them on the street. It's just like driving a car. So we didn't even have to trailer it to the trail. We just got in, in his driveway and just drove to the trailhead. It's so, so weird. It's so, so weird. I would say that was the most bizarre part of the whole thing. And then after everything was over, he's like, hey, there's a taco truck down the street. Do you want to go? And I'm like, absolutely. It's like we just drove this ridiculous off-road machine to the taco truck. I suppose they're like a Baja buggy, but like half scale or something. Well, the thing is, they're street legal. There's no airbags. There's no ABS. There's no like significant emissions control there's they're just i don't know what they did to like push these through but they did <laughs> uh maybe it's like a exemption because there's so few like in the grand scheme of things there's not that many of them i would say that when we were sitting there eating tacos every third vehicle that went by was a side by side and that's this area that we're in like i was in uh buckeye arizona which is very it's very rural. You know, it's it's an hour away from downtown Phoenix. It's not. But then, like, there's none here where I live. Because they're not legal on the street. Exactly. So they're off. Like, if they were legal everywhere, there would be probably issues with emissions. But they, there's only so many. There's only so many on the road, you know, like. It's just strange to me that they're on the road, period. Or I mean, they're like whatever they meet, whatever emissions it is for snowmobiles and motorcycles. I'm sure they have that law, but yeah, I mean, he, listen here in Arizona, like there's, there are literally no rules. If you have lights, turn signals, headlights, and stoplights, you can drive it on the street. If you pay for a plate, like there's communities here where golf carts are just driving around. Like Scottsdale is just golf carts everywhere. Just like legitimately golf carts, not even, not even just side-by-sides, actual golf, golf carts. <laughs> so we were actually out driving on the streets yesterday in that side by side, and behind us was I'm trying to explain this right. It's a say like a mid to late eighties 
Saturday night special stock car racer. So it would be like an early 70s like Pinto body all hacked up on a tube frame. Okay. There was one of those in traffic with us. No windows, no wipers, just some like clipped on headlights and taillights and treaded tires and a license plate just driving around. Sure. Like absolute absurdity is on the roads out here. It's just not even, there's no other way to explain it other than absolute absurdity. Like nobody cares. So it just is what it is, but it's beyond Thunderdome. It is. It's, it's not, they don't call it the wild West for nothing. <laughs> there's no question. So actually next time you're out here, I need you to take a ride in this thing. I need you to drive it. I need you to see what I'm talking about because while I still don't want to own one because it doesn't have the kind of, um, it's not the kind of vehicle that you or I would own. It's definitely something to experience. And you can't say you're above it because you used to own a jet ski. So it's the same kind of vehicle. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's the same kind of thing. It's it's a ridiculous thing that's way too good at what it does. It has no real purpose in life. It's owned by a typical subset of stereotype, and you can't say a jet ski's not. Um, it's the same. It's the same thing. It's a it's a jet ski for land, and you would you would you would have a blast driving it. Again, I'm not defending them. I'm not saying I want to buy one. I don't want to not off road in a traditional truck anymore that part is boring but the high speed drifting around sand is amazing also it's probably compounded by the fact that there's really no laws when you're out in the sand so there's no speed limit there's no police there's no concern about being caught for doing anything wrong and if there's another vehicle out there it's not a surprise when you come up on it because you'll see it's dirt trail coming towards you for days yeah so you're not gonna come around a corner like head on to somebody else so it's there's no, there's, there's, I've never experienced anything like this and I would do it every day if I could. It, I've been having this like withdrawal of high performance driving a lot lately because I haven't done a rallycross or an autocross or even a TSD or anything in like, we're going on years now probably. Um, mm-hmm. And this really, it kind of scratched that itch a little bit. Just being able to just beat the daylights out of something with no consequence. Yeah, that's why I like to used to do go karting every now and then. But even our our favorite go kart place around here, um, they're closed or they're closing. Yep, I think they're gone already, aren't they? Yeah. So, main indoor. Okay. Oh well, it's it scratched that itch, and sometimes you just need to scratch that itch. And uh, like I said, once the world goes back to normal and you're out here visiting again, we're gonna go out in that thing, and you're gonna have a freaking blast. So. Guarantee you won't stop laughing the whole entire time. Because I was like laughing like a maniac every every single time we're around the corner. <laughs> so you'll fully enjoy it. So a couple episodes back, we talked about turning the AC on and off. If cars overheating. Yes. Um, pedantic update. So we're both right, according to my dad. Okay. It, it obviously it depends on the what's failing. So like, if the cooling fan is failing, then yes, my method will work to try to trick the other fan to come on. But you're also right because if you're going uphill and all your fans are working, 
just to take the extra drag off of it, yeah, you can shut it off. So, uh, yeah, like I said, when we were we were in my like, speaking of the Volkswagen, and the heat that was climbing to like, there's no numbers on there, but it normally runs at like dead center in the middle, and it was closing in on three quarters on the gauge. And I shut the AC off, and it just ooh, right right to half. So, we're talking a serious hill, but it definitely was a thing. Yeah. Um. So project car updates, you get anything? Project car updates, down dates? Ah, uh, so yeah, you took the wind right out of my sails. <laughs> yeah, I have multiple down dates. It's not okay, good. it's not good. Um, I went to oh, I guess oh, another event. event. Yeah, I went to uh, four till four, four till four coffee shops, cars and coffee Saturday morning, which is the Porsche themed coffee shop in downtown Scottsdale. Yep. Um, Every third Saturday, they do performance cars. It's not a Porsche event. So it's all likes of performance cars. So there were some BMWs and some Porsches and some Ferraris and some Japanese stuff. And there was an Evo 1. There was two R34 GTRs, an R33 GTR, an R32 GTR, a bunch of Miatas, um, a f- Full WRC body kitted GD bug eyed Impreza. That was pretty neat. With like these really deep, deep center bore, like um, braid racing wheels on it that were pretty awesome. Uh, cool, cool event. A lot of cool stuff. I put a couple pictures up on my personal Instagram and I put some pictures up today of the full uh, DTM touring car E30 build that was there. Knowing the crowd that goes there, it could have been an actual DTM car. I couldn't tell you because <laughs> the the guy that goes there, like this guy's F40s and 959s, and there's there's some high end stuff there. I usually feel uncomfortable with my car there, so I kind of park it at the end of the parking lot because um, I'm there in an Eclipse, so not high end vehicle. But anyway, um, I went there with the Eclipse and had a great time. Sorry, a bunch of cool stuff. Went to drive home, said, you know what? I'm not going to take the highway home. I'll go like surface road, just kind of enjoy the drive. It was a beautiful Saturday morning. It wasn't super hot. It wasn't super cold. And uh, not that it would be super cold here, but Mm-mm. and I stopped. I didn't, I did not get a coffee at the four till four coffee shop because of the whole Corona thing. And it was a bit crowded inside the shop and I didn't want to go inside. So I said, I'll stop and get a coffee at a drive through on the way home. So I'm in the drive through. Go to Dutch Brothers. I did not go to Dutch Brothers. Dutch <sighs> Brothers is very expensive, and oh. it's not it's not my scene. There are there are many places here that are significantly better than Dutch Brothers that cost less money. Oh, strong opinions. Very strong opinions. Yes, maybe I just don't know how to order at Dutch Brothers, but like for two coffees, I don't think I've gotten out of there for less than like thirteen dollars, and that's just it's a little absurd. That's like a regular coffee, like not like a fancy coffee. I don't even remember anymore. I just know I was annoyed and I was overwhelmed by the menu, and it was like okay. Everybody that works there is like 11 years old, and everybody that shops there is also like 11 years old. This and is like Aroma Joe's sometimes. Yeah, it just wasn't my scene. <laughs> you pull up to Aroma Joe's, and it's like a child is taking your order. You're like, okay, do you know yeah. what coffee is? Yeah, exactly. That was that was kind of it's kind of my takeaway from Dutch Brothers. It's it's Dutch Brothers is a young man's game. So, um, we'll take you out to this. there's another West Coast coffee chain called uh, the Human Bean, which is really good. No, you took me to that one when I was out there. That oh, okay. 
yeah, that's that's. So, that's, wait, did you get your coffee or did you not get your coffee? I got my coffee, so I'm in the drive-through, um, and I pulled up to the speaker and I ordered my coffee, and then I came off the clutch and the car bucked forward, like it shook back and forth a little bit, and I was like, "That was weird." I thought I did that. I didn't think I screwed up like my clutch work right there. I don't know. That was kind of strange. And then I rolled forward and I put the clutch back in, and the car bucked again. I was like, all right, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it should just go into neutral immediately. Like, okay. So then I'm sitting there and the guy in front of me is doing his, you know, money transaction and my foot's on the clutch. So I said, what's well, going to be a couple seconds in my brain. So I said, I'm going to pull out of first gear and put it in neutral. So I went to pull it out of gear and it fought me to come out of gear. I was like, okay, <laughs> this is not, something's, something's definitely not right here. Um, he drove forward. I came off the clutch. Oh, sorry. I, I got it out of gear. I couldn't get it back into gear. Oh, that's, this, this is, <laughs> in the drive-thru. In the drive-thru. So now I'm a little bit panicked. I'm like, this is definitely not good. Was it so a closed I, drive-thru? Like the lane? Oh, yeah. There was no way to oh. get out of there. Yeah, it was just me in the drive-thru, and I was I was in it to win it no matter what. So um, I shut the car off. I put it in gear. Turned the car back on again. Foot in the clutch the whole time. Um, my dog is scratching his butt under the table and he's smashing it with his leg. I'm sure you can hear that that right through the microphone. Yes. I thought I was hitting my table. Mojo. All right. Um, where was I? All right. So I started the car back up with it in gear. I took my foot off the clutch again and it did the whole bucking forward thing again. I'm like, man, this is something's weird. I got to the window, put the clutch back in and the car stalled. After a little <laughs> bucking session again, I'm like, oh my God, I, whatever. At least I'm now the front car in line. So like I can, if I got to get out and push, I can just push it straight into a parking spot right in front of me. So I shut it off. Well, actually, I shut itself off. I got my coffee. I turned it back on with my foot on the clutch. I took my foot off the brake. My foot was still all the way on the floor on the clutch and the car started driving forward. I was like, oh. Okay, that explains a lot. The clutch is not releasing, so the car is just in gear. That's why it's bucking like crazy, and that's why it's stalling when I come to a stop. So I just left my foot on the clutch and just drove the car like 100 feet in the parking lot to a parking spot. Frustrated, obviously. Um, I shut it down, pulled it out of gear, and coasted the last few feet. Get out of the car. Fluid's all fine in the reservoir. Because my first thought was going to be like, oh, obviously, you know, the fluid leaked out somewhere. Thankfully, there's a target in the same parking lot. And this target I know has an automotive section. I can get some clutch fluid, some brake fluid if I need to. Um, So I should be able to make it home. No worries at all. I was probably, I'd say I was probably about 20 20 miles from my house. I wasn't too far, but I also wasn't too close. So, all right, I could probably make it home. So I'm kind of trying to figure it out. There's plenty of fluid in there. Like, That's not good. I look underneath the car. Nothing's leaking. Nothing's bent. All the shifter cables are fine. Everything visual is fine. So I messaged uh, you, and I was like, hey, quick thoughts. What's the, uh, what's the cause, generally, of a clutch not disengaging? And between you and me and actually a couple other of our friends, Andy and Jordan, we kind of had a group chat about it. And I uh, figured it was probably the either the service or the master cylinder. 
yeah. probably blew its internals all over the place. So my theory is it's probably the service cylinder, formerly known as slave cylinder. It's more um, common. It's more common. It's a much easier swap as well. Like it's such like a five-minute job. Yeah. <laughs> you can even, the way it sits on those cars, you can basically gravity bleed it. Yeah. Yep. I remember gravity bleeding the last one I did in one of these cars. So yeah. Um, I'm not terribly concerned about it. So oh, that's right. The one let go in the Galant. Your Galant. No, your Galant. It let go. Nope. Yes, it did. Yeah. I drove the Galant twice. Yeah, and the the uh, the service cylinder let go on it too. I don't remember that. Yeah, I know it went on the Starion. Yeah, that you're thinking of? Nope, your Galant did too. I have no recollection of this. My Galant memories have been clouded by the engine blowing up. It literally went, and then like, also the engine was blown. Like it was like. I don't think and this I, is a true story. No, it is a true story. And I I think I, I had an extra one for some reason. Hmm. We threw it in. And then I drove the car later? No. It was literally like, it was really hard to put into gear. I didn't want to go into gear because it was already making that noise. And we were trying to check for the noise. And it was like, or maybe anyway. we didn't change it. It wasn't like. It was you're saying, you're saying I should have bought two of them. <laughs> I have yeah. no recollection of this. I blew the Galant up so long ago, and I haven't done anything with the car that it's just in the back of my brain, and it makes me irritated and angry every day. So I just don't think about it. So maybe it did happen, and I'm just pushing it yeah. into my subconsciousness. I don't remember it. I remember changing one in my black RX-7. I changed one in one of my Conquests. I changed one in the white Starion. I changed one in my Talon back in the day. Um, there's definitely been a few of them have gone over time. So anyway, they're common. So I ordered one from Rock Auto. It should be here Wednesday. It was like $6. Like, And I didn't even buy the cheap brand. I bought like the Saks, like clutch performance brand one, like for $6. So hopefully I'll be able to get that swapped out um, before the weekend. Yeah. We take the, you take the boot out. It'll probably like fluid will probably just come out. Yeah. More than likely. But inside the boot. I think, I think they usually come without the piston rod. You got to put, you got to pull that over, but. Yeah, I don't think it had one. I think looking like in my brain, looking at the picture, but it just means that I gotta fix it this week when it comes in. So I haven't bought a floor jack yet, so this will be my uh, my reason to buy a floor jack. You could do it without a floor jack. It'd be easier with a floor jack, though. Yeah, I tried reaching out of the car already. Just kind of like it's just the car is too low in the front. Yeah, so it'd be easier with a floor jack. I might as well might as well jack it up, make it easier on myself. So, but yeah, that's project down date number one. Number two is that car that I was just extolling all its virtues about, that Volkswagen that just goes and goes and goes. Yeah. Um, coming back from the off-roading trip yesterday, I got to check engine light. Hmm. Thanks to scan gauge. I have a scan gauge in the car all the time. Um, we do support scan gauge. <laughs> they are amazing. Oh, yeah. um, they also function as a code reader. So when I got back to the house, I left the car running. I went to the scan gauge and you just push the menu button and it says codes and you push the button for codes and it popped up a PO401 code, uh, which in a Volkswagen is an EGR code, a dirty EGR code. 
So either EGR malfunction. So generally it means it's dirty. It has to be cleaned. So I haven't done that yet, but it's another, I think it's fairly simple, but I haven't looked into it too much yet because I haven't gone anywhere with the car. So my normal reliable everyday driver is also kind of blah right now. So two down dates, no updates. But the good thing is I used them, so hey, I used them and I broke them. That's how it's supposed to work, right? Yeah. So, oh, and I also applied for a lost title for the Sapporo because I don't know where my mass title for that went, so I can register that out here because the weather is getting cooler. I can start using that again out here on a regular. So that'll be uh-huh. good. So should have that soon. But anyway, those are my project down dates. What do you got? Anything good? Yeah, so... I talked about before the Glant had a flex pipe leak. I think it was the flex pipe leaking. I'm pretty sure because it was all torn up. I had bought it out on something a while ago, and eventually I think it just wore out because that exhaust is about ten years old. Um, but also in taking off the downpipe to repair it, the gasket between the downpipe and the O2 housing was pretty well worn out too, and I already done that once, so. Maybe that was part of my leak. Doesn't really matter. I had the flex pipe. I had a welder. I was gonna. I was determined to change it myself. So I cut the original flex pipe out of the downpipe. Uh, cleaned up the ends. Made sure the new flex pipe fit over them nice. Put it back up in the car and bolted it in place. And put the flex pipe. You know, so everything stayed clocked the right way, the flanges and stuff. Right. Uh, did a couple tacks so it wouldn't move, took it down, and then I welded around it, and uh, it came out pretty good. Yeah, I was looking, looking at pictures. It looks it looks better than the exhaust that I have on a Sapporo that I paid somebody to do. So. Yeah, and, you know, the good thing, the aftermarket exhaust I have on the Glant, they used like a thick wall pipe, so that made it a little bit easier to weld. Yep. It wasn't a cheap like OEM exhaust or an aftermarket like cheap thin pipe. So that made it easier. And then well, getting, the new- getting getting better at welding is one of those things that's like an important tool in the arsenal of a backyard mechanic too. Because once you get good at welding, there's not much you can't do. I think I probably could have slowed the wire down a little bit because I had it was if I w- didn't move fast enough, it would kind of build up. So, but otherwise, I think I had the heat was pretty good. It came out pretty good. No leaks. Put it back together. Fit fit well. Uh, car sounds better. It's not leaking up there by the engine anymore. Yeah, that's usually a huge improvement. Yeah, it was just it was annoying, and also I need a sticker, and it's like here, even with like a little wisp of a, a leak. Yeah, they got a failure. Yeah, the failure, yeah. especially well, with the cars already kind of loud, so they'll it's failure. Pre-catalyzed exhaust at that point, so they want to make sure that's uh, yeah fixed fixed before it works back on the road. So I mean, you can't blame um, them, I guess. And then I had a uh, I wanted to change it just for to do it. I had a I have a go fast bits um, blow valve I put on the car. Oh, I didn't so know that. Yeah. Um, gives you a little better response. It's not a, it doesn't vent to atmosphere. It's not like the one in my town. That's a hybrid one. It's a full recirc. So it's not but, super loud or anything. 
No, but it it's a, should be a little bit of stronger spring, so gives you quicker throttle response. <clears throat> and um, but then looking around under the car, I have been noticing every now and then when I have it up in the lift that there's some oil dripping down. And the car's been driven that much, and there was like pretty good drip down between the transfer case and the bell housing, the transmission. And it appears because at one point I had put dye into the transmission because a few years ago it had the output shaft seal for the tra uh, transfer case was leaking. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Um, so that's a, that was a transmission out job. And now it seems to be leaking transmission fluid again from inside the bell housing, which is really annoying. So I don't know if it's the input shaft seal, like what the clutch rides on. Or while, nope, it's not. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's just transmission oil, you said. Yeah. Yeah, it smells like gear oil. It's not black and carbony like engine oil. Um, plus it looks like it has dye in it. I don't have. Uh, I didn't have a UV light handy, but it looks like when you've seen oil with dye put in it, like you can kind of tell even in regular light. Um, I don't think I put dye in the transfer case. I can double check it. I didn't pull the drains to make sure because I, I want to check make sure they're topped off but it's like super annoying just yeah especially if it's in the transmission out job again yeah i mean it's not that hard of a job because i'm used to doing it but i don't want to do it but i guess i'll have to do it probably next spring if it's not the transfer case um i don't know why hopefully it's not the seal that we already put in for some reason but whatever and then no. Unfortunately, it's the old car. The old car conundrum. Like, if you have an old car, it's going to break. And if you have more than one old car, they're both going to break. So, well, yeah. And it's just like, you know, I was fixing one thing, it was broken. I always find something else. Yeah, and then the, the while you're in there syndrome? No, it's not the while you're in there syndrome. It's the, it's the, I'm looking at stuff. Like, I always check my cars out all the time. So I find things and I, it's like I hyper maintain them, but I don't, I, I don't, I try to avoid the, while you're in there too much because it does get like a slippery soap. Cause it's like, while you're in there, then all of a sudden it's a body off restoration and you're like, <laughs> then the car never gets used because oh, you mean my, my, everything I've ever done where I take them all apart and never finish them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but yes. Yeah. Um, like that was kind of the goal of that car. I did just enough stuff to make it nice, but also kept putting it back together. Yeah. I've, I've learned from my mistakes and from your, your lack thereof. So I don't do that anymore. <laughs> so then speaking of, uh, was back in 18, my year of, uh, brake calipers, that car had to have two rear brake calipers done. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a hard time getting them because, whatever reason, the all-drive rear brake calipers are not very common anymore. You had them remanded, right? Nope. I had to buy them off the internet because the remand place closed. Oh, that's right, too. That I was using. Uh, King Caliper and PBD. That was used to be great because you just bring them there, give them 50 bucks cash, and they rebuild them for you. Yep. Um, so before I went in June on the drive, the Rally in the East drive, Inspecting the car again because I was going to take it on a long trip. I noticed the rear brake caliper was leaking where the hose goes into it because it's not a banjo bolt. It, the 
these early Mitsubishis, it's actually really annoying when you install the caliper. The, the brake hose twists into the caliper and it's like a flared fitting. It should seal. So for whatever reason, cause you, you have to like spin the caliper onto the hose and then bolt it up. Maybe it like spun backwards and it felt, it was like a little loose. And it was leaking. So I had tightened it up and cleaned it up. And then we noticed like in the garage floor, there's like black oily bits, but towards the back of the car, which is weird. I'm like, well, that can't be oil. There's nothing oily in the back of the car. It's brake fluid that was running down from the same caliper over the tire and leaving like an oily black spot on the floor. So I check it and the line is still tight, but yet it's leaking. So I don't know if the braided hose is bad or if the seal like inside the caliper was bad. Like it's not the right flare for some reason. It's super weird. Yeah, it's not good. Gotta, That's not good. It's annoying. No, I got to look at it more closely. Maybe it needs a new caliper. Maybe it just needs a new braided line. Somehow it got damaged. I don't know. But. Those are my uh, down dates for that car. We both had a rough, rough week. It sounds like then, huh? Well, it's annoying because I've literally driven that car twice this summer. Like I drove it on that rally in the east, and then I like took it to Jordan's not that long ago, which is only like a forty-five minute drive from my house, and that was it. And I haven't really driven it at all, and. I don't know. I guess that's part of that whole thing where the the worst thing to do a car is make it sit, right? Maybe, or maybe I would have been driving it and the brakes would have blown out. So I don't know. Probably not. I would say probably not. But again, the whole everything in a car happens sometimes for a good reason. Like the plan was to take the eclipse the next day, like three hours north. So I'm glad that it broke 20 miles from home. Versus that, you know, like, I don't think I finished that story. I wound up getting it home by, you know, the car thankfully doesn't have a clutch safety switch. So you can start it in gear. So I'd get it into first gear, start really? it on. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. Well, hey, I'm glad it doesn't. I'm glad it wasn't there. How else I would have got it done? Yeah. <laughs> it had to have broken then because the. My 90 does. It's a weird, maybe it's a weird Euro market thing. Who knows? Like Lant does, because I've had both of those cars not start because the little rubber plunger yep. isn't getting, is it like it deteriorated so that the brake pedal or the clutch pedal plate that touches the lockout switch. quite all the way down. Well, it has a hole in it for this rubber piece. Oh, okay. So when the rubber or the plastic part deteriorates and falls out, then it just goes right over the plunger and doesn't push it. Well, I know this car doesn't have that. I was able to start it in gear. So it made it easy to put it in first gear and then just like accelerate till it started on the starter and then just kind of rev match shift through fifth gear. And I got on the highway, made it home, got to this one stoplight, shut it off, did the same thing, put it back in first gear, started it. I got to third gear and I just tried to hang back far enough so I didn't have to stop. I could just like sneak through an intersection without stopping at stop signs or red lights. So. Yeah, I wonder if it like, I wonder if the switch broke because at some point the Mirage switch broke and you could start it in gear. Okay. So I don't remember. I know that 
my old Jetta did. I had that 2000, 2001, whatever year it was, 2002. Jetta 1.8, that one had broken. You could start it in gear. So, I don't know. I don't know if it broke or if it never had one. I assumed it didn't have it because I couldn't remember if my Talon had it or not. And I know that my Starions never have. Yeah, because it was too early. But those those never have. And, and any through 87, 88, they never did. So... It was like 89 or 90 was when it was like mandated. Either way, maybe again, it's a Euro car, so maybe it doesn't exist. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe it does and it broke. Who knows? There's so many weird things in that car that it wouldn't surprise me. All right. Well, that sounds like a podcast, Brad, then. It sounds like it to me. Cars are broken. Cars are broken, but they're all home. So we're. Yeah. uh... (laughs) Updates, down dates. But that's what this podcast is about. Keep working on old cars. Yeah. Keep them going. Keep Keep using them. Break. What, oh, hold on. What's the what's the phrase going to be? <laughs> fix, use, break. Yeah. Repeat. Yeah. Fix, use, break, repeat. Fix, use, break, repeat. So or or you I, can do that. My old way is just use, break, by, by use, break, by. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Not recommended, but go for it if you want. Oh, I found a set of um, OEM brand new in the box. Japanese market bumpers for my 74 Colt. Like the really? tiny, little, tiny little thin ones. Yeah. Um, do you want to know how much they cost? Yes. You have a guess? $100. <laughs> no, I didn't buy them. They're $1,300. Whoa. Yeah. Which I get it. And, you know, it's for a brand new in the box 1974 set of bumpers, front and rear with, end, with the chrome end caps. And all the mounting hardware, it's probably not a bad deal. And if I had no. the car like done and painted and ready, I probably wouldn't even squawk at paying thirteen hundred bucks for a set of bumpers. But I can't justify it right now, which disappoints me a little bit. But hopefully, maybe they won't sell, and uh, I can buy them again in a couple of years. But who knows? Mm. The cars are very popular in Australia, so I'm sure they'll sell there. They have some really high dollar restoration ones out there, which is uh, probably why they're the price they are. So anyway, this just a side note. Didn't buy them. Cool. But uh you wear a size new Colt bumpers for Christmas. Yeah, sure. Anybody wants to drop thirteen hundred bucks on a couple of bumpers for a car that doesn't even run and is three thousand miles away currently? Good on you. I'll take it. It's worth uh, 13 times more than the car's worth. I paid $245 for the car, so not quite 13 times, but a significant amount more, yes. <laughs> it was close. Yeah. Anyway, you can follow the Auto Topic podcast on Facebook, Auto Off Topic on Instagram, Auto Off Topic on Twitter. You can follow me, Race and Anger, on Instagram. And Brad, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at TSISS350 and obviously on the Auto Off Topic Instagram page as well. Cool. As always, keep cars analog and aim for the roses.